You may be seated. How are we doing this morning? I got to tell you that last week was the most exciting, most fulfilling day I've ever had in ministry. That's how awesome last Sunday was. And I'm fully expecting that God's going to do something amazing today as well. And uh, last week when I was sitting in here watching these ladies give their testimony from Teen Challenge, I was just moved to the core at what God has done in their lives and how he has changed their lives and brought them out of the the pit of despair and all these things they've been in out to show them the truth of who he is and to see them coming through that was just amazing and then not only that to watch what happened at the conclusion of the service as we gave the invitation for baptism we had two people planned for baptism had three of them come forward spontaneously to follow the lead of the holy spirit in their life and how beautiful was that right to walk outside as a church family and to have baptism i mean i was just I wish that day could have lasted forever. That's how awesome it was. And so it has been an amazing journey this whole week. There's been a lot of oppression that my family has felt. And um, this is a message that I know the, the enemy does not want to be conveyed today. But by God's grace, I am here and I'm standing before you. And I am super excited that today is our fourth week in our study of the book of Mark. And the last time that we met in this series, we talked about how to fight and to win. We looked at how Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness and how Jesus responded to this temptation. And the bottom line is simply this. To fight to win, we must know and obey the word of God. That's the bottom line. It did not matter how many times or how many ways that Satan tried to bring Jesus down. Whether it was the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. Jesus' response was always the same. It is written. And that is a lesson to you and I. He wielded the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, every single time. That's how he defeated temptation. And that's a lesson for all of us. Nothing trumps the Word of God. May we never try to satisfy our flesh apart from the Lord. We don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. May we always stay humble, and may we keep our eyes on what's eternal instead of what's temporary. There are no shortcuts to the will of God. Everything we need is found in Jesus. He is the only one that deserves our worship. Not sin, not self, not Satan, just Jesus. Whatever we worship, we serve. So we must only worship and serve Jesus. And to fight to win, we have to fight like Jesus. 
which means we must know and obey the word of God. That was a review from the last time that we met together. So let's pray. God, I am super excited about what you're going to do today. This is your service. These are your people. This is your message. So Lord, have your way. We invite you here. Fill us with your spirit. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Sean, I can't tell you how excited I am to stand behind this pulpit for the first time to give this message. Thank you. So some of you don't know that Sean took it upon himself to build this, and uh, we had it for last service, so Jamie was the director of Teen Challenge that got up here to, to share. But this is the first time that I get to be behind this today, and I can't tell you how excited I am. So thank you, Sean, for all your work and effort to put this together. Some of you know that I've spent the last year standing behind a, a music stand. And so now we've got a real live pulpit. How cool is that? So let's open our Bibles together to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 14 through 15 today. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. You don't have a Bible? We've got them here on the bookshelf that you are welcome to borrow. My right, your left. Feel free to get one. Can you read? I don't know that they can hear you from back there. (laughs) So verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. So repent and believe. These three words that represent the core message of Jesus' ministry while he was here on this earth. These three words are timeless because they are just as relevant today as they were on the day that Jesus uttered them. There is no greater message than to repent and believe because it is the only message that leads to eternal life. Today, we're going to unpack what Jesus meant by these words. And it all starts at the center of our faith, which is the gospel itself. Now, the word gospel, in its most basic definition, it means good news. But before we can truly understand and appreciate the good news, we first have to understand what's the bad news. The bad news is that our entire world is corrupted by sin. If you're taking notes today, that is your first blank that you can fill in. Our entire world is corrupted by sin. Now, what is sin? A simple definition is that sin is when we disobey God. The Greek word for sin, harmatia, it literally means to miss the mark. Now, a great illustration for this is to picture an archery target. And at the center of that archery target, you have the bullseye, and that bullseye represents God's will. And so every time we sin, it's us missing the mark of God's will for our lives. And unfortunately, this is something that all of us do every day. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All sin has consequences, but no consequence is more severe than this one right here. Sin is what separates us from God. It's what separates us. And the punishment for sin is spiritual death, which leads to eternal separation from God in hell forever. Now, that's the bad news. I need you to hang with me. We're going to get to the good news, but we've got to understand what's the bad news. 
Sadly, there is a significant number of people who don't even believe there is a hell. Some of these people profess to be part of the body of Christ. But I am here to tell you that hell is for real. And there will unfortunately be many who will end up there. But it's not my words that matter. The Bible teaches us that hell is an eternal fire, that it is unquenchable, where there is shame and everlasting contempt, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there is everlasting destruction, and where the smoke of those tormented there rises forever and ever. It is a place none of us would ever want to go to. I don't care how much Hollywood or our culture glamorizes evil and all of that. Hell is not a place any of us would want to go to. But it is the destination for anyone who does not obey the good news. Unfortunately, there continues to be more and more doctrines of demons infiltrating our churches today. Because people would rather have their ears tickled than to hear the truth. And one of those doctrines of demons claims that everyone will eventually end up in heaven. Oh, that sure sure sounds nice, doesn't it? That sure can tickle our ears. That sure can. It's very cozy and convenient, but it's also completely false. The Bible does not teach such a heresy. The Bible teaches that every person has an eternal destination, either eternally separated from God by sin in hell or eternally united with God through forgiveness and salvation in heaven. There's only two destinations, friends. Only two. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 makes it clear that not everyone will end up in heaven. This is what Paul says here. He says, and God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. I have no idea how anyone can read their Bible and come to the conclusion that there is no hell or that everyone will end up in heaven. This is simply yet another deception by the enemy. If we don't know God and we don't obey the good news, there will be eternal punishment, destruction, and separation from God. That's exactly what this scripture teaches. Now, if you live your life however you want to, enjoying all the things of this world, you are greatly deceived. Our lives here on this earth are but a vapor, just a blink of an eye in comparison to all of eternity. Sadly, there are many who live just for the here and the now and the temporary, and they have no idea or they simply don't care about the eternal. But if they don't know God, and they refuse to obey the good news of Jesus Christ, they will go to hell. That is the bad news. Hang with me. We're getting to the good news. Hang on. Now, another lie from the enemy that continues to infiltrate our culture is that I'm a good person. Yeah, that's a big one out there today. I'm a good person. I'm not like so-and-so. Oh, my sin? Oh, that's nothing like that person over there. Come on. As if comparing ourselves to one another matters at all in light of eternity. The only standard that matters is how we measure up to the life that Jesus lived. And the fact is, one sin, any sin, separates us from God and will lead to eternal punishment in hell forever. 
That is the bad news. None of us can ever, ever be good enough. None of us can ever reach heaven by ourselves. There is no one that is righteous. No, not one. Sin is serious because it leads to eternal death. That's the bad news. Now, let me tell you about some good news. Who's ready for some good news? You ready? We all can have eternal life. Now, listen to me very carefully. I didn't say we all will have eternal life. I said we all can have eternal life. In other words, we all have the opportunity to choose eternal life. And it is a choice. Eternal life or eternal death. We have to choose. So what is eternal life? Jesus tells us plainly what it is in John chapter 17, verse 3. Watch this. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That Greek word for know is gnosko. It is a very intimate word. It means so much more than just intellectual knowledge. In fact, one of the ways that this word is used in the Bible is described as the physical relationship between a husband and a wife. That's how intimate it is. Now, the companion for this word in the Hebrew is yadah, and you see it in Genesis, where it says, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived, right? So, to have eternal life is to know God. And to know God is to have a deep, rich, intimate, and personal relationship with Him. And the way that we have this relationship with God is through His Son, Jesus. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the full revelation of God in the flesh. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Everything about God is known through knowing Jesus. So to know God, we have to know Jesus. We've got to know him. In fact, Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, there's a lot of denominations. There's a lot of different religions out there that teach that there are many ways to God. There's only one. There is one exclusive way to know the Father. Jesus is the only way to know the truth because he is the truth. If you know Jesus, then you know the truth. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When you choose his way based on his truth, you will receive his eternal life. You cannot make your own way or come on your own terms based on your own efforts. Jesus is God's only solution for our sin problem. God saw how utterly helpless we all were in our sins because our sins are what separate us from God. And there is no way for us to bridge that gap on our own. That was the bad news. But the good news is that God made a way for us to bridge this gap to him. He sent his one and only son to this earth to, in the person of Jesus Christ. He was born into this world as a man for one primary purpose, to save us from our sins. It was through his death on the cross that he made a way for us to be forgiven, to be saved, and to spend eternity with him. His death, burial, and resurrection are what we call the gospel, and this is the good news. Now let's look at this in scripture. 
Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. He says, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news, meaning the gospel. Let me remind you of what I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Now, let me pause, because our faith is an active faith. It is not a one-and-done thing. You have to continue to believe. Very similar to what Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew chapter 24. Those who endure till the end shall be saved, right? It is an active thing. You must continue to believe. Now, verse 3, Paul continues. I passed on to you what was most important and what I had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. So the gospel is the good news. It's the good news. And this good news is all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's what makes the good news so, so good. Watch this. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It is the power of God. Put that in your blank. It's the power. We can never, ever underestimate God's power. And Paul is telling us that the gospel itself is the power that saves. You see, when you and I are witnessing to other people, we don't have to worry about trying to have power. The power is in the gospel itself. That's where the saving power is. It's not in our strength or in whatever flowery words that we think we need to come up with. It is the gospel itself. Just share the gospel and leave the saving up to Jesus. Now, here it is, very simply. God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to this earth for you. You were helpless in your sins, destined to go to hell. But God, in his infinite love, sent his son to die on the cross in your place. He paid for your sins, all of them, past, present, and future, with his very own blood. You didn't deserve it, but Jesus sacrificed his life for you anyway. He died for you, he was buried for you, and he rose from the dead on the third day for you. That is the gospel message. Our role is to simply share this message, and God's role is to do the saving. Always remember that. Some people get twisted up about, I'm going to go out and win souls. No, you're not. You don't have the power to do that. No man can come unto the Father except the Holy Spirit who draws him, right? God saves, you and I share. That's the difference. He saves, we share. And here is also what makes the good news so good. Everyone has the opportunity to be saved. Everyone. It is the power of God, watch this in the scripture, for everyone who believes. Now, there's a predominant theology, whatever you want to call it out there, Calvinism, I'll just call it what it is, that teaches that it's not for everyone, it's only for a certain elite group over here. That is completely false. That is not what the Bible teaches. Amen? It is for everyone who believes. And that's not just good news. That is great news. And this brings hope to the hopeless. It brings freedom to those held hostage by sin. And it brings a joy that passes all understanding. 
But it is a personal and individual decision. Notice what Paul said here, going back to our text. Notice what he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, first for the Jew and also for the Greek, singular. He could have put this in a plural sense and said, first for the Jews and then for the Greeks, but he did not. He chose to keep both of these in their singular form, and that's because salvation is a personal and individual decision. Being part of the Jewish people being part of the Greek people, or even being an American, or being part of any particular group, will not get you saved. You must personally believe in Jesus. Paul's emphasis in this text is on everyone, because it is a universal offer of the gospel. It does not matter whether the person is a religious Jew or a pagan Greek. No one is excluded from this offer. The good news is good for anyone and everyone who will believe. How are we feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. This is so, so important. I have hit this head on on this Calvinism thing before. And it's very sad. It is extremely sad to watch it. But watch this in our, let's just look at truth. Here's some truth for you. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world. Right? Let me find it. Holy cow. Am I that far off on my slides? Am I really? No, that was, that's further ahead. I don't know if I put it in here. I may not have. You guys know that verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? What does that say? For God so loved who? The The world, right? And then He says, whosoever believes in Him. That sure sounds pretty inclusive to me, doesn't it? It is a universal, inclusive offer, but there's an exclusive way, and it's through Jesus. Now, if that's not clear enough, here's another scripture, and I don't have this one on the screen either. It is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, which says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Anyone and everyone. I don't know how much more clear you can get. The good news is good for anyone and everyone who believes. John the Baptist gave a very stern warning to the Pharisees and Sadducees who saw themselves saved because they were part of an elite group, because they were descendants of Abraham. Here's what he said to them in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Now we're caught up on the slide. Sweet. Here's what he said. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he explained. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other that we're safe. We are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. You see, John the Baptist is making the same point that Paul made in Romans chapter 1. Being part of any particular group will not get you saved. It means nothing. 
The gospel is all about making a personal and individual decision to believe in Jesus. And that decision to believe should prove by the way that we live that we've repented of our sins and turned to God. In other words, our lives should demonstrate the evidence of our salvation. Now, we're going to come back to that. I just want you to mark that in your mind about what kind of belief we're talking about. Now, let's move on in our original text for today in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, where Jesus gave his central message that summed up his entire ministry. He said, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now we've talked about what the gospel is. It is the good news. It's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So we've talked about the word gospel. Let's move on. Let's talk about the kingdom of God. Let's talk about that phrase. The Jews believed the kingdom of God would be a physical kingdom that would overthrow the Roman oppression that they were under. But the kingdom of God, as Jesus taught, represented something totally different than what they thought. It represented two things. It was a spiritual kingdom to rule in the hearts of all those who would believe, and it was about the coming kingdom in the future when Jesus would return to this earth to rule and reign forever. Now, Daniel speaks about that future kingdom in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 and how it will crush all earthly kingdoms and will last forever. Who's ready for that kingdom? Bring it, Lord, bring it. But I don't want us to focus too much on the future kingdom. We need to focus on the kingdom of God that Jesus focused on during his ministry. He says here in this text, the kingdom of God is at hand. What he meant was that the kingdom of God that the Jews and everyone else had been waiting for was now here. The kingdom of God was Jesus himself. He was the promised Messiah who would bring salvation to all who would believe in him. Now we can see this more clearly in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. Watch this. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. When Jesus said the kingdom of God cannot be detected by visible signs, he meant that you cannot see it with your natural eyes. You cannot see it with your human eyes. No one can see the kingdom of God with their natural eyes. We can only see the kingdom of God by being spiritually reborn which is exactly what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He came to see Jesus. They got into this incredible dialogue. It's where we we see John 3, 16 come from, is when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Here's what Jesus says. John chapter 3, verse 3. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus goes on to say that not only can we not see the kingdom of God unless we're born again, we cannot ever enter it either without being born again. So we can't see or enter the kingdom of God without being born again. Now, being born again is going from spiritual death, being dead in our sins, right? And it's going from that to spiritual life through repentance and faith in Jesus. It's a complete work of the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. We must be born again. 
And when we make the personal and individual decision to accept the gift of salvation by God's grace through our faith, we are born again. The debt owed for all of our sins is paid in full by the blood of Jesus who sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So when we are born again, we become brand new. And we can now see and enter the kingdom of God. Now, let's go a bit deeper. How do we actually be born again? Jesus uses three words in the main message he came to preach to everyone. Repent and believe. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, there are some who will teach that you don't need repentance. All you got to do is just believe. And there are some scriptures that talk about just believe. But let me straighten this out. Repent and believe are two sides to the same coin. Okay? We're going to talk about what repentance means, but it means simply to change your mind. You can't believe until you change your mind. You see, they go together. You were believing this, you have a change of mind, and now you believe the Father, and you believe Jesus, right? Repent and believe. They go together. This is what Jesus said. I'm not making this up. It's right here in our scripture. Repent and believe. We've got to be very careful because some people, the easy believism crowd, would say, all you've got to do is just believe as if it just stops right here. I'm going to show you that it doesn't. Repent is what John the Baptist preached to prepare the way for the promised Messiah, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Jesus began his public ministry with this same word, repent. Now, to repent means to change one's mind. And this change also corresponds to a change of direction or a change of behavior. Who served in the military in here? Okay? So repent is like a military term. You guys remember what an about face is, right? You remember? You're standing at attention. Someone says about face. And you turn around and you're now going 180 degrees the other direction, right? That's what repentance is when you change your mind. So it's a spiritual about face. Okay? That makes sense? You got it? All right. Being sorry or even feeling sorry is not repentance. You and I can be sorry about something emotionally, but if that doesn't necessarily lead us to change our ways. Now, Paul distinguishes being sorry from repenting in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9-10, through 10, where he says this, Now, I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So there you've got the contrast. You've got worldly sorrow leading to death. You've got godly sorrow leading to repentance, leading to ultimately eternal life. That's the contrast. Being sorry may be the beginning, but if it does not lead you to change your mind, which ultimately leads to changing your direction, then it is not true repentance worldly sorrow leads to death while godly sorrow causes us to repent which leads to life and you can look to the life of judas as an example 
Judas was one of the inner 12. He was one of those close-knit followers of Jesus. He felt great remorse over betraying Jesus, but he did not repent. Instead, he went out and killed himself because worldly sorrow leads to death. True repentance is us agreeing with God about our sin, and then we turn from our sin to follow the new direction that God leads us to. And when we experience true biblical repentance, we recognize that we are completely helpless to save ourselves. Our only option becomes turning from our sin and turning to the only one who can forgive our sins, Jesus. So to repent, we not only need to agree with what we were doing was wrong, we now need to ask Jesus, what do I need to do differently? And then we need to go do it. John the Baptist said, prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Remember what I asked you to mark in your mind earlier about what kind of belief we're to demonstrate? That's it right there. If there is not a change of mind followed by a change of direction, which leads to a change of behavior, then we have not truly repented. That's what it all comes down to. Because true repentance leads us to turn from our sins and to turn to God. Repentance, as I've said before, is never a one-time event. It is a lifelong, continuous commitment. Now, some of us are here today, and we are into things we have no business being into. We need to repent. Some of us are caught up in some sins that if people knew, they'd be shocked because you're really good at hiding it. But God knows. He sees everything, and he's calling you to repent today. Why would we want to grieve the heart of our Father in heaven by living in our sin? We must repent. Listen to me. The single most important thing you can do to prepare for the Lord's return is to repent. That is the single most important. That is what this world needs right now. Repent. And the enemy is going to hijack that. And he's going to make people think that, oh, you've got to clean your whole life up. You've got to repent of all your sins before you can come to Jesus, right? As if you've got to clean up everything before you can come to Jesus. What a lie from hell. You can come to Jesus as you are, right? All you've got to do is believe in what he did on the cross. Put your trust in that. He'll clean up your life. Come as you are. But I promise you, if you have a true salvation experience with God, you will never leave as you are because he will change you remember what the scripture says you are brand new when you are spiritually reborn you are brand new that hold on you is broken you're now free so we don't have to listen to the enemy who says oh yeah you suck you are horrible you just i can't believe what you did you ought to be ashamed of yourself there's no way god would accept you that is all a lie Jesus died for you on the cross for you, for your sins. It doesn't matter what you did. You come to him in forgiveness and he will forgive you. What does the Bible say? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That is the truth. Let us walk in the truth, children of God. We don't need to believe the enemy. He's a liar. He is a liar. Now, the second word that Jesus emphasized in our text was believe. Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. To believe is to accept as true 
It's to trust in. It's to be completely dependent upon. It's to be completely convinced. Now, the kind of belief that Jesus is calling us into in this text is more than just simple intellectual acceptance of the Bible being true. It is more than just head knowledge. If this head knowledge does not reach down into our heart and lead us into action, then it is worthless and it will not save us. To believe is actually to have faith in action. Don't believe me? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Read about all the heroes of the faith. Why were they heroes of their faith? Because of what they did. It was their actions that proved their faith. To believe is to actually have faith in action. That's what it is. It's one thing to believe intellectually. But if our actions don't follow what we say we believe, then there really isn't any true saving faith. True saving faith is a belief that obeys. Put that in your blank. True saving faith is a belief that obeys. Some of you are blowing up at me right now because I said obey. I know it. I can feel it. Our obedience is not the means to our salvation, but it is the evidence of our salvation. You follow me? In other words, our obedience is the proof that our belief is genuine. And that is the kind of belief that Jesus is looking for because that is the only one, only kind of belief that will save us. Now, let's be clear. Our salvation is based on the complete work of Jesus Christ through his death on the cross, his burial on the tomb, and his resurrection on the third day. That is the gospel, and that is the power of God that saves. Now, there is no such thing as a works-based salvation. Unfortunately, there's a lot of denomination out there and religions that would teach otherwise as if you've got to earn your way to heaven, as if on judgment day you're going to stand before God and you're going to have a whole stack of good and the whole notion is is that your good is going to more than outweigh your bad. That is a lie. It is not based on works. It is only based on what Jesus did because nothing you and I can do can ever measure up. We've already established that. We cannot earn our way to heaven no matter how hard we try. I've said this so many times. It is Jesus plus nothing that saves us. Anytime you try to add anything to Jesus, it is a false gospel. And sadly, there's a lot of false gospels floating around in our world today. There's a lot of deception. There's only one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ that is completely outlined in the Word of God that we have talked about today. He said, repent and believe in the gospel. Now, once we change our mind and we leave our sins all behind through repentance, we then turn to God and we believe. And the kind of belief that will save us is one that goes from our head, accepting the gospel is true, to our heart, leading us to action. Now, listen to me very, very closely. We have got to stop making excuses for our lack of obedience. The church has got to stop making excuses for its lack of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, then you will obey me. We cannot profess our love for Jesus when we won't submit to what he teaches. Profession without submission, it means nothing. It means nothing. People who profess to love or know Jesus but aren't submitting to him are faking it. They are a bunch of big, fat fakers. 
These are the same kind of people that Titus talks about in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, when he says they profess to know Christ, but they deny Him by the way they live. Now, sadly, I know all about these kind of people because that was me so many years ago. That was me. I was a big, fat faker. I grew up in church. I professed to know God, but I denied Him by the way I lived my life. Man, you could look at my life I was in church on Sunday and I'd live like hell through the week. That was me. I would say I was living for him, but I was actually living for myself. I knew all about him, but I did not know him personally or intimately. I knew all the rules, but I had no relationship with him. I am so grateful for his mercy and his grace. I'm so thankful he never gave up on me because if it weren't for him, I would have been dead many times over for my poor choices. Once I truly began to repent and believe, my entire life changed. Instead of having all this head knowledge which never really affected my behavior, what happened? I began to love the Lord and I began to submit to him. And what I, what I used to view as what I had to do, I now view as what I want to do. Now, don't think for a minute that living my life hasn't been challenging for me. I went from faking it to I want to love the Lord. I want to please the Lord. I want to obey Him. It's not easy for me. Just no more easy than for you. Don't think I've got a halo on my head just because I have pastor in front of my name. I struggle. My obedience has never been perfect, which is why I now live by continually repenting and believing. But I have personally learned. I've personally walked this profession without submission. It means nothing. Are we obeying God's word? Are we acting on what we hear from his word? If not, then we really need to evaluate just what kind of belief we think we have. Because if we want to know that we know Jesus, if you want to have a gut check on what kind of relationship that you have with Jesus, then I want to encourage you to study 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. May that be your action item from today. Go home, get by yourself, pray and ask the Father, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to show you how you measure up to this truth right here. Here here it is. This is how we know that we know him. Now, I want to pause for a minute. This is how, he says. This is how we know him. That word know, gnosko, it means to know him intimately, to know him personally. Here it is. This is how. If we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. That was me. I was a big, fat liar. And the truth is not in him. Verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Do you want to know that you know Jesus? Then check your obedience. Are you keeping his commands? Now I need to say this again. Our obedience is not what saves us. It's only by His grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ alone that we are saved. Our obedience is just the evidence of our being saved. 
Now, let me also clarify what is meant by the word keep, because some of y'all are like, there's no way. I just can't be perfect. I can't do it. What does John mean here when he uses this word? When he says, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. Right there. Keep, keep, keep. Three times you see it. Our obedience is not about perfection. It's all about direction. In John chapter 17, verse 6, Jesus is praying to his father about his disciples. And here's what he says. He says, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, the Greek word for kept is the same Greek word that John just said in John chapter 17 three times. Keep, keep, keep. It's the same Greek word. Now, this is really, really important. They, meaning his disciples, think about that, have kept your word? Really? These guys, they really kept your word? These are the guys who at the Last Supper were arguing about which one of them would be the greatest. Later that very night, each one of them abandoned Jesus in fear. Peter denied Jesus even after Jesus warned him that he would do it three times before the rooster crowed. And Thomas doubted Jesus' resurrection. You know, that's where we get doubting Thomas from. He's like, no way, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch his side. I can see the holes in his hands. I will not believe. Remember that? Jesus knew all of this, and he says here, they have kept God's word. What is the deal with that? It's because Jesus wasn't looking at perfection. He was looking at the overall direction of their lives. And thank goodness, because we all mess up at times, don't, don't we? Praise the Lord that his mercies are new every morning. So our overall direction in life is what matters. That's what matters. And that direction should always be striving to walk just as Jesus walked. Jesus is God's only solution for our sin problem. The only solution. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is now. Today is the day of salvation. We must all repent and believe in the gospel. That is the core message that Jesus gave. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and three days later, he conquered death, hell, and sin for all eternity through his resurrection. That is the good news. Now, how does he want us to respond to that good news? He said, repent and believe. To repent is to change our mind so that we then change our direction. It is a spiritual about face. It's where we turn from our sins and we turn to God. To believe is to first first put our faith completely in Jesus and then follow him with our actions. True saving faith is a belief that obeys because profession without submission means nothing. It means nothing. We must always remember, though, we can't get too caught up in this, it's not about perfection, it's all about direction. And that direction should lead us to be fully devoted and faithful followers of Jesus. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. Do you need to repent and believe today? Is that you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word of God. The word of God just lays bare everything in our lives. When we encounter the truth of your word, there's nothing that can be hidden. And so I pray today, Lord, if there's anyone here that has something they need to repent of 
and turn to you and believe that they would do that today, that your Holy Spirit would minister to them. Maybe there's someone here today that has never submitted their life to you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would draw them to you into a deep, intimate, personal relationship with you. Others may be here and they've either backslidden or they've gotten caught up in stuff in the world, stuff that doesn't honor you, and they need to repent. So, Father, I pray that you'd convict them today so that they can walk out of here clean, refreshed. Your word tells us that you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray, Father, that the pride would melt away. All the pride would melt away. People that think they're standing tall, and the word warns us about that. And I just ask, Lord God, that your spirit would minister to us in a way we've never experienced, that we would see you for who you are, that you would fill us completely, that we can walk in by faith and that we can walk out following you when people see us they see jesus in us we love you we praise you in jesus mighty name amen Amen. so we're going to do something a little different today i'm going to ask uh bill and janice if you'll come forward uh janet and david if you'll come forward and as i play this next song here's what i want you guys to do i just want you to be in a spirit of prayer about whatever's going on in your life And if you need prayer, if you need someone to intercede on your behalf, there's people up here that will pray with you. And I want to encourage you to take advantage of that because the word talks about you can receive forgiveness by confessing to your Father in heaven, but you receive healing by confessing to one another. And so we're here to help you. We're here to encourage you. If maybe you're questioning your faith or you've got questions about your faith in general, this would be the time for you to come forward. Okay? So just listen to this song. Let it speak to your soul. Pray to your Father in heaven. And if you need prayer, come forward and we'll be here. Savior, I come Quiet my soul Remember Redemption's hill Where your blood was spilled My ransom Everything I
Amen. Now, I want to be clear. If you need prayer of any kind, whether it's for sins you're struggling with, whether it's for something in your life that you need healing over, I don't care what it is. There's people right here that will pray with you because we love you. And we want to see you pointed in the right direction. So don't be shy about coming forward. So I'm going to dismiss the rest of you, but anyone who does need prayer, and maybe the Spirit is prompting you, and you're struggling whether to get up and come out of your seat, I want to encourage you to obey Him. We'll be here for you. We love you. We want to pray with you. But the rest of you, God bless you. Have a great week.